Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I'm watching the World Cup, but I was very disappointed because they showed places where it, it was just blowing up. Like in Chicago, I can understand. My friend Tim Lanahan's the uh, soccer coach for Northwestern, and it's, Chicago is huge for soccer. But they had the big Hyde Park, I think, or something like that. All those people. Out. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is like an hour and a half where I grew up, is like the smallest thing, place, and it's only known for their amusement park called Dorney Park, okay? Their outside was packed. Everywhere's packed. I go to one bar yesterday. I get back from the parade. I go, I'm going to go watch the game. I go to one bar. There's like just business people in there, not even for the World Cup. So I walk down the street to another place, and believe it or not, there was only me and this lady I know, Dee, this older doctor, and we had fun, but I'm like, where are the soccer fans? I, I want some hooligans. I want to have fun and watch the game. So hopefully on Sunday, people will be out because it is a Sunday, and they're playing Portugal, and I think if they tie, they'll advance. But I hate to break it to you people, but the U.S. will never win the World Cup. I mean, I love watching it, and I know Klinsman, I don't like Klinsman because he didn't put Landon Donovan on the team, and I think when uh, Altamont, whatever his name is, went down yesterday, everyone's like, yeah, Klinsman, you should have put Landon on the team. And then he, ESPN just cuts to the poor guy like what do you think about the game and it's like what do you mean what do I think I should be there it's like what do they have to do but so Sunday hopefully there'll be people out and uh, yeah but just so you know even if we win we're never going to win the World Cup that's all but you know we're the best in every other sports but World Cup never anyway enough about me I got a great guest today we're just talking. We have so many people in common. It's so funny that you do this, that you meet people. And I met I met him. I didn't meet him. I saw him on a Marin, the Mark Marin show. And uh, I said, he looks familiar. And I, I, I DB'd him. And I hit him up on Facebook. And he's probably like, who's this creep guy? It's Brian Palermo. How you doing, Brian? I'm great, Steve. Thanks for having me in, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you get the message, it's, probably, it's, it's out there because it's not like everyone gets messages like that. No, and the, fir- the first thought is, yeah, who is this creep guy or who is this guy? And then you determine the creepiness of the guy, you know. So it, it, you passed my test, so it was all right. Okay, good, because, yeah, because, yeah. you know, but then you see, because I, I think for me is I always put the list of guests, and then, you know, people can make that stuff up. But then I don't see, I don't like to put my website on it. The only reason being, because if I put my website on, you'll see, like, a link possibly, and people may not open that mail. Yeah, I don't know if I haven't looked at your website. I looked at your list. No, I went to it because I listened to three or four of the interviews. So right. I must that must have been on your website, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think I sent it to you after I said, okay, I said, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's it's weird. Either way, look legit. So here I am. Yeah, so here he came in. So uh, so are, are you a soccer fan? Do you do you follow? I am a bit of a soccer fan. You know, not huge, but I mean, the World Cup is such a big deal, and I've got two little boys, six and three, and it's like this is a big thing, and USA is playing, and sadly, like you said, it's like they might not be playing in two weeks. You know, they right. might be. So it's like let's watch it. So we watched it. And, Six-year-old watched like a whole hour of soccer. Three-year-old watched about a whole 10 minutes of soccer. Right. It's like that was as much as I can ima- imagine. So it was good, and I was excited, you know, but I, I do watch it uh, on DVR. I DVR it, and okay. then I fast-forward until they get close to a goal. Okay. That because may, I that can't sense that much of it. But you know what I've, I've lost? I don't DVR sporting events. I never have just because I'm very involved in social media because I'm promoting my show or getting guests or I'm out there. And unfortunately, well, first of all, these people have now – like like during the World Cup, every 50, 58 people, go, go. And it's like, yeah I, yeah, I know, we're watching it. Right. And the worst was like when the Lakers would play when they were good. People would sit there like, 2 nothing, 4 yeah. nothing. It's like, yeah, we have 125 more points. And it just, it's, you, you, you can never get away with sports. It's like when the Olympics was on. Right. You would go to Yahoo, your homepage, such and such wins your gold. Oh, man. 
I was if I want to if I want to keep something enjoyable, I make sure to stay off of social media until I've watched it. Like I, even just yesterday, the, the the World Cup game, you know, I didn't go into anything until after I finished it. Okay, know, the game, which was great. You watched the game? Yeah, I, you know, I sat there. I, I mean, was. You said you were going to the bars and stuff. Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah. Well, what happened was I I watched the first half at home. We went to the Kingsbury, which was great. We just hung uh, out. I know, and, and I'm a big Kings fan. I, I went. Well, I went two years ago, and Joanne was all excited to go to the parade, and I was just saying in my first hour how last two years ago hardly anybody. Anybody was at the King's Parade. Like, we got in the subway like that. We took it out of the North Hollywood. Right. This year, there's a big line, and Good. there's people you know. I, my rule is this. If you don't know the rules, and you don't know who Luke Robitaille or Rosie Vachon are, right. you cannot root for the Kings. Right. Oh, is that your rule? Uh, well, luckily, I passed that test. Yeah. But I'm glad to hear, even if it's bandwagon, I'm glad to hear it, because you know, they need more support. They need you know poor, uh, people to jump on the hockey uh, bandwagon for the Kings. And the Kings, two cups in three years. That's amazing. And two years ago, it was the first time they'd ever won it. Is yeah. that, isn't yeah. that right? And last year, they went to the uh, semis. I know, I know, I know. So it's like, that's amazing to me. I'm from New Orleans, so I know right. nothing about about winter sports, right? Yeah. I've learned it all out here as an L.A. kind of bullshit fan of the winter sports and stuff like that. So I have, you know, slowly gotten on board, but I love hockey. I've seen a few live games, and it's like, yeah, that is the most exciting live game. It's one of the best, and it's funny. If, if How long have you been following hockey? About 18 years. Okay, do you remember when they had the awful red streak? Yes. And that was that was so annoying. I don't even remember what that was, but it's I remember like they, like, So you could follow the puck. Oh, God, no, that's too much. And then what I hate, I have charter communication, yeah. and I get the NHL. I have I have all the sports packages. like It's not, not like season stuff, but they have the NHL network, right. but they don't have it in HD. And oh. watching hockey not in HD, you feel like you, you feel like you die you, you can't see it it's not it's not good enough but you know but, but anyway it's 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 awesome and i, I love it I'll, I'll root for the, the ducks too and they were playing each other i was rooting for the kings but i'll, I'll root for the local guys i don't so really, have, I, don't I, really like, I like the kings i'm a kings and flyers fan because i'm a philly roots you're a philly boy no, no, you were born in new orleans now did you follow any sports did you guys I mean, yeah, saints die hard saints fan okay. but sadly you know uh we were such a losing team for decades and decades right. until four years ago uh neither the saints nor i had ever won a super bowl you know right. so it's like for 40 years um so it was really hard so as a little boy i got tired of you know just rooting for the the saints who lost so i became a dolphins fan randomly because i think i just like the mammal you a know a lot of people a lot of people said they like the colors they like the colors it's bright and sunny i don't know uh, it, it was it was it was fun uh about greasy i think was still the the guy way back a million years ago. jim kick and larry zonka zonka the zonka yeah so anyway so i i was a dolphins and saints fan but really i'm saints die hard i'm also a big sec guy so i'm a big lsu fan okay. and luckily lsu is always good the sec is always good you know so that's a lot to, to cover but since the saints have gotten so much better in the past five six years i really am invested in, in pro football it must be great i mean oh it, my god it's it's just you're going from feast to famine you know it, i mean it, from famine to feast you finally have something yeah it's like i'm an eagles fan and we haven't won but it's even like they're playing in arizona in october so i told joanne i said we're flying out a flight's like 200 bucks but the eagles are exciting and, they're good i love what chip kelly did last year you know it's like they're always in but it but they never win it i mean i'm, I'm last a, time they must have they've won. never won the super bowl they've never won the they've super been bowl? to it twice they've never won it oh my god see i thought i thought they at least won one it's awful no it's you sit there and go it's like i always say i compare it to being an eagles fan is like when you were in high school and you stood outside the liquor store right. for someone to get you beer waiting to get you're gonna go to a party and you give them money and you think you're gonna show up with budweiser <laughs> and the guy walks out with zima that's a, that is a great metaphor except in uh, growing up in new orleans any stranger will buy any kid beer <laughs> alcohol whatever you want. i mean it was the easiest thing in the world to get and when i was a kid 
it was still 18 was legal drinking age, you know, since long ago uh, passed. But so you could start drinking, sadly, really early in New Orleans. What was it like growing up in New Orleans? I mean, was it at the time? I mean, I mean, there's the Mardi Gras stuff. But, you know, what made you growing up in that area? You said you're a big football fan. What made you want to pursue acting in New Orleans? Because it, it's I don't know. It's just it seems like it seems like a party city, like a jazz city. somewhere. like people play jazz and musicians. Here's, here's my story, Steve, is uh, I grew up in Metairie, which is like the big suburb there. Real white bread, Brady Bunch, kind of normal. You're 20 minutes away from the French Quarter, but until you're 17, you're not going down the French Quarter and hanging out. So, so I wasn't really exposed to that until high school and college kind of thing. So uh, I have a very typical story, uh, you know, as shy as a kid, and then I got those first couple of laughs in like fifth, sixth grade. It's like, oh, maybe, you know, I'm not going to stand out as a, a jock guy. I'm not going to stand out as a brainy guy. Maybe I can stand out as a funny guy. And, you know, by seventh, eighth grade, I was. I was like the class comedian. So that's how I got any kind of uh, you know, positive feedback was through that. So I didn't want to be an actor. I, I, it, it was New Orleans didn't have anything back then. There was no now the past ten years they shoot a lot of stuff down there, but there was no model for it. I had no I, nobody in my family ever did it. So um, I just wanted to be the funny guy so people would like me. That's a pretty standard uh, story for a lot of comedians. I don't know if you feel the same, but uh, so eventually through college I took some acting classes as an elective. My so what was your major? Communications. I got a, I got a BA in communications, which is so broad. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought, well, that'd be something. It's it's. I'm not going to be a mechanical engineer, so I'll go this way. You know. How did you pick University of New Orleans? Uh, local schools, state schools, more affordable. I lived at home with my with my parents until I graduated college. I was like 21, and we just couldn't afford it. You know, and I didn't know. I knew nothing. My sister, my eldest sister, was the first in our entire extended family to ever go to college. So we're coming a little bit from that world, you know. Uh, real middle class, but it's like the first time she went to UNO because she can live at home and she can afford it. And it's like, oh, great, that's what I do. My family goes to UNO. You know, I didn't even think, well, an hour away is Baton Rouge, is LSU. But I didn't know anything about scholarships or grants or, thank God I didn't know about student loans because I'd probably still be paying them all. Uh, so I went to UNO. My parents paid my tuition and I paid for, like, books, you know. We, we Which moved. is like $800 a book. Yeah, it was crazy. You know what, you know what would get me pissed? about that when I went to college it was like you sit there and you go okay you know we, we always said you should you buy used books because they're right. they're highlighted what you need to know exactly but then it's like a used book is only like six dollars cheaper it's yeah. like it's used and it's like the books are I don't have my books anymore I can imagine what they cost now but I'm like thirty two fifty for a book I'm not even gonna open I don't even know <laughs> now it must be all me online I, I don't know how that shit works but uh yeah so communications I figured that was a broad a broad base to jump off of someplace Took that first acting class as an elective. Is like, oh, this is this is what I want. This okay. is fun. I'm a straight man in a pool of, of a lot of gay dudes, so I'll get I'll meet girls and and you know all the cute girls are in theater, and so I just enjoyed it. So it was just really really fun. And so yeah, my degree is communications, but I did a lot of theater in those last two years of college. So you get you get out of school. Yep. And then you say I'm going to L.A. Going to L.A. Yeah, I was either L.A. or New York. Had you been to either one of them? I'd been to L.A. once on like a vacation when I was 19 with a, another buddy. We had one friend who moved out here who had a great aunt who lived in uh, Brentwood. So we stayed with them for a week. It's like, oh, this is awesome. Because you know, Brentwood's kind of nice. Oh, yeah. You're not too nice. far from the beach. So we had a really great experience for that week. And I thought, well, great. I'll just move out. And, you know, I'll, I've got my one friend there. So by the time that happened, I think I had two other buddies from college who had come out. And uh, they had an apartment. So I just jumped in with them. And for a while, we had five guys in a three-bedroom apartment. It was, it was that, was, that was my frat house experience. Where was it at? I always wonder... In, in Brentwood, because... Oh, so you actually moved to Brentwood We then. did, yeah. Uh, but we had five guys. It was the only way we could afford it, really. The Cheesecake Factory in Brentwood. We were right about... We were like th three blocks away from the Cheesecake okay. Factory. It's funny I, do, I say that, because this is no lie. Years... God, 10 years ago? 12 years ago? I had a job. Um, my friend goes, I got a marketing gig for you. Yeah. 
and we would give out soup. And soup? A, like organic soup. Okay. And there was people dressed like chefs and people who dressed like vegetables. Oh I, I dressed like an organic piece of corn. <laughs> but, I love that you were organic. But no, but the best thing about it, paid thirty seven fifty an hour. Oh my God. I that was, is good. If I if it'd been a full time job, I would have made like eighty thousand dollars a year and people would go, What do you do? Yeah. I'm that corn. Oh, yeah. And it was cool. Like I look kids thought I was a mutant ninja turtle, but of we course. we gave out stuff around that where the the in Brentwood we gave out nice areas of soup. Yeah. And there was right near the cheesecake factory. It was in a little Thing. That we were blocks away from that, okay. blocks away from that. Uh, so yeah, so and uh, when I moved out here, uh, I started taking improv classes with several different groups around town because that was fun, and I thought this I'll meet friends and I'll learn how to do it. Had better. you had background improv practice? No, I had done very little. In I had taken like a couple of improv exercises in a class that got me hooked because that was so much. Because I'm a lazy, lazy boy, Steve. I don't like to learn a whole script if I don't have to. So improv, just make it all up. That's the best possible thing. So there was a group out of Tulane that was performing down the French Quarter, and they had open audition. <clears throat> so I went down and I got into the, the group. And so we did several shows, what, what I call bar prov. So, you know, you're improvising, but you're in a bar, man, in the French Quarter, so everything right. is just dirty and drunken and stupid. <laughs> and it was really fun, and you learned a lot. But it's like, okay, so Steve and I are, uh, you know, we're brothers, and, and uh, you know, where do we live? What's our location? Dildo! Okay, thank right. you. Right. So everything is that. Uh, but I tell you, two months of that, and you you learn. It's it's stage time. Well, that's what he always said. You know, with with, with comedy, you know, it, you go to these bars. But now I, I see these people, and I'm like, I don't know why they're. You know, it's like it's, I, it's stage time. But for me, it's not, not, not valid. Not not. It's not it's not helpful. productive. Like like productive. I, I I host a little show called the Crappy Comedy Night. It's in my friend's bar, right. and uh, in the last few weeks, because playoffs, there's just. I book like four people, five people I know. Yeah, you know, the younger comics actually another fun, and that's been it. Our crowd's just been that. But it's it, at least it's productive stage time because we all listen. Yeah. But it's like sometimes it's just like you sit there and get like these guys. Go, oh yeah, I went to this bar and it's great. It's the, one girl. I saw a girl on Facebook. She goes, "If you're an LA comic, even played this, you're nothing." I'm like, really? Well, I don't really do LA comedy, but I probably made more money doing comedy in a week than you've made in your whole career. Possibly. So how are you like just because you go on and people yell at you? It doesn't help your act. I don't know that world. I don't know stand-up. I did very, very little of it at the beginning because I was petrified. I thought that would be something to get to get over that fear, you know? So I took a couple of classes way back when, did a couple of student showcases that right. everybody did on my VHS tape somewhere. I've got That's it. That's so funny. I found my old ones when I was my girlfriend's when I was cleaning stuff. Was, it any, was there anything good on it? You know what? I... Yeah, I mean, there was some, it was, it was, I just was completely different. There, there were some jokes that are good. I, I forget, I mean, because I got out of business for a long time. I've right. had buddy goes, hey, you ever do that bit? And I'm like, what? what and the, I forget, because yeah, 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 I, 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 that's the thing. But, so you come out here and you're doing the yeah. improv. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. what groups did you join? Uh, immediately started taking classes at the Growlings, because I heard they were the big thing, and at the time they were. But I was also uh, learning with and performing with uh, the LA Connection, which is a, a small improv group in the in Sherman Oaks? City. Sherman Oaks? Oh, no, okay. No. It might be Sherman Oaks, officially. Uh, and the Wild Side, which was also North Hollywood, there, that doesn't exist anymore. And theater sports, which was in Hollywood, went away for a long time. Now has come back. They just came back. And um, so I was doing a lot, and uh, you know, three nights a week with different groups, meeting different people, forming those friendships, uh, and that was my outlet. You know, so I wasn't I, I wasn't playing poker. I was playing softball. I didn't have a weekly thing. I didn't go to church. I didn't have a college. So that was my thing. You know, I, I would just go all these different groups and meet these different people, and. And you start winnowing down who are my friends and who are just that's a guy in class that I'm not really connected to. Um, so yeah, so so that was that was the beginning of my support system. So all that was the fun, and I wasn't really I had no intention of doing it professionally at all. I thought this was a fun hobby. What were you doing to live? 
I worked at Wheel of Fortune, the game show. What did you do? I did everything, Stevie. I was uh, so I got a job. I was the phone monkey, the very bottom of the barrel. Only because a friend of mine, my friend Debbie, had gotten a job like a week before as the receptionist. And I didn't know anything. I said, oh, wow, how'd you get that job? Because I looked at the paper. You know, back then it was the paper. Right. I looked at the paper. I, I went on, a, on a, a, an audition, what do you call it, interview with a resume in my hand that I printed. And I met the boss and she hired me. I said, oh, God, is that how? I didn't even know how it works. I knew nothing. Because um, I had only worked at like fast food and pizza before that. So I said, listen, if anything ever opens up, the very next week they needed another guy. So she got me an interview. And I did have my college degree. I knew how to type. Um, and that was it. That's all the boss cared about. You know, uh, she asked me, it was a woman named Nancy Jones who had been running the show forever. And I remember she was impressed that I typed my own resume. And she kept going, you sure your girlfriend didn't type this? Because I don't have a girlfriend. No, I typed it. You know, it's a resume. What do you, and it had nothing on it. Anyway, so I got the job at Wheel. I started off just answering their phones for five months, just answering the phones all day long. How do I become a contestant? Blah, 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 blah. Then uh, stuff, people left. I moved around. I became the, an assistant to the producer. So not a PA on set, but a, the assistant in the office. And then I did that for a couple of years. Then I was the prize coordinator, which is very rare. Nobody knows how to do that. Now, what, what is uh, you oh, just? I mean, because the, the prizes on Wheel of Fortune are so elaborate. Like they, you sit there and you go, it's like, wait, what? You know, it's like other game shows. It's like they were. Yeah. I haven't watched it in ten years, but back then there's a prize brokerage firm, right? So all I had to do is call these guys and say, okay, we need a grand prize of a vehicle, we need a trip to you know Tahiti, and then a watch and a piece of jewelry and a you know, lawnmower, whatever the hell. And so they would gather all that stuff. With contracts they have, they present it to me. I bring a package to the producer. She would pick this, this, and this, and then you kind of organize it. Then you get the video, you get the picture, you get the dialogue, blah, 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 and you can just kind of coordinate the prize, you know. But nobody in the world is, you know, so few people. Game shows don't even get prizes anymore. Basically, it's right. all cash. So it's like that's a weird little thing that I've got that most people don't have. Yeah, I never, I never even heard of the position. I know. Of course, it makes sense. You need something to at, get at the, the prizes. Just don't show up. Yeah, and by then that was a couple of years into it. I was taking classes at Groundlings that were now writing. So I I'd squirrel away in my cubicle and write sketches, real bad sketches. You know, trying to learn, trying to get better. Um, so I do my work for Wheel, and then I'd sneak an hour in and write a bad sketch, and then I do you know that kind of junk. Um, then at the end, I was there seven years. So at the end of my time, I was the special events coordinator, which was everything ancillary to the actual taping of the show. So we had a, a newsletter, we had a website, which was just beginning. This was '97, so you know nobody had computers, uh, t-shirts, just junk like that. I, I would I would take it. Oh, we had a a big sweepstakes once a year. Anybody can send in a postcard or write in or whatever, and hopefully get chosen to win a cruise or. or okay. That would take me like three months of my whole year to coordinate and fulfill that thing because we they'd get like 15 million postcards, you know, and, and then they, we'd have like a day where Sajak and Vanna would go and pick them and you know, blah, blah, blah. I'd have to coordinate all that. So in a tiny way, I was kind of producing a little bit, but just just the prize junk. So anyway, that, that was that was a good gig. So were you, were you doing you? But you had no time to audition, I guess. You were just no. See, that was that was when I was making that decision. Okay, do I leave this job? Because I mean, it was a great gig, but it was a real job. I had to be there, you know, nine, ten to six, whatever it was. And we would tape on the road, so I'd be gone for a week, this and that. Um, and I was moving up the ladder at Growling, so you have to take classes over there, right. and and you have to move up the, you have to get graduated to the next level. And so I finally got into their Sunday company, which is our rookie team, where you you do a show every Sunday and you write new material every week and you put it up in front of the. And that was when I got my first agent from doing a show at the Groundlings on Sunday. This sweet old lady uh, had very few clients. She was a very, very small agent. Her name was Buzz Halliday, and I love her to death. Um, but she picked me up, and I got my first gig on Baywatch. It's like, oh, this, this is what I need to be doing. You're, you're Carl, Cynthia's husband. 
Oh, you're looking that up right now. Okay. That's why I'm looking. I, I would have never known who I was. Because no, I always put the IMDb yeah. up. Because that's why. That's why I'm looking around. Because I have this computer going. Oh, that's and I so just... funny. Okay, he's like, yeah, yeah. That was the husband of the guy, and you could tell they 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 wrote that episode. They shot it. It was an hour long, and they were probably about a minute short. So they added in the husband. Who uh, who comes out at the end and like the last two minutes of the episode, I show up and I say thank you to Hasselhoff and the other and one of the girls, and I'm just like the comedically goofy, grateful husband because he had saved my wife early in the first scene or whatever. So I show up and that's my first gig. But you know, you show up at six, uh, Mr. Palermo. Here's your trailer. Would you like a you know a, a custom made burrito? And yes, I would. And and all the all the extras are UCLA girls in their bikinis, and then you're in the, the trailer with uh, whoever the hot chicks are. You shoot. You're done at ten o'clock, and then I get residuals. To this day, this is like 20 years later, I'm just going to get rid of Now, from that, is that how you got in SAG? Uh, yeah, no, no. For SAG, I had done an industrial, you know, industrial like yeah. training field for some pharmaceutical thing. It was really hard. Uh, but that was a friend. That was a networking thing. A friend from the LA Connection was like a coordinator. And she said, we need like a, a, a young guy that can pronounce all this shit, all these chemical and pharmaceutical stuff. And uh, she said, "You're." She thought I was smart. I won't. I won't make that claim. But yeah, so I was able to say all this stuff. So she she gave me the job, and they they taft heartened me into uh, SAG because they looked at a bunch of people who were having trouble with all this chemical dialogue and all this. It was really hard, horrible stuff that you have to say. And uh, so yeah, so she basically got me my my SAG card, and then I was able to do Baywatch. So you did Baywatch. Now, it's also you were in Suddenly Susan. Yeah, that was my that was my first like broadcast job. So so I don't know what Baywatch was on. But uh, suddenly Susan was on one of the big three, so that was that was a gig, and and that so sitcom. But my role in the sitcom was uh, EMT. So I'm wheeling Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson, yeah, yeah. He's he's a guy. He's had a coma or something, so he's on a stretcher, and I'm I'm the guy wheeling him through the the hospital door, saying hey, it's a subdural hematoma. You gotta get 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 some plasma, get some. So I had like two of those lines, really really hard to say, and I totally flubbed on the first take i just messed them all up because i was so nervous um and uh and then you know do a couple of things of that and that was it you know it's just two three lines but on a sitcom in a non-comedic capacity uh, again and so uh, two of my first three jobs i was playing like some kind of medical guy you know so when you're doing these yeah like, you're still at the groundlings and you're learning to yeah. write and you're doing that stuff all now, that stuff now are you also going out for commercial auditions at that time i started doing so so um and uh, I don't know how I got in. With, I had a friend who was with CED, which is a big commercial house, and he referred me to the agents over there, and I went and meet with them, and I brought them a tape, a VHS tape of some of the junk I had done at Groundlings because they wouldn't come to see you. You know, They, they got right. a lot of stuff to do. Um, and they liked it. Something on there they really thought was funny. So they said, yeah, we'll take, we'll take a, a flyer on you. And so I started going out, but I was still at my job, and it's like, okay, here's here's the decision. This is the horns of the dilemma. Do I stay at the office job, or do I actually give this this acting thing a run? And now I'm 29, 30, you know, that's, which is a dinosaur in Hollywood. You know, right. I'm starting the professional career at that age. And it's like, this is tough, but it's like, I, I got to give it a shot. You know, I don't want to ever look back and, and be regretful. And so it's like, all right, we'll try, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I, that was, you know, 17 years ago or something, and – and uh, and since then, I've just been working enough to pay the bills, and I'm very, very grateful. Very, very grateful. So, uh, you so you get out of the the, the uh, wheel of fortune, right? Game. Right, the game show. And so you start and you start. You get, you're getting Baywatch, and now yeah. are, are you getting out a lot now? Though no, 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 no. I'm still getting up just very little. I so mean, what are you doing for money? So, when I left Wheel, my wife at the time, my first wife Bonnie, uh, was a writer producer of promos at the Disney Channel. 
So they always hired freelance guys. So she taught me how to write and produce a promo. It's like a, you know, a 15 or 30 second promo spot for, you may know, but you know, it's like, hey, coming up on the Disney Channel, Tuesday at eight, it's fun for the whole family. Steve Cooper hour, boom, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it seems easy, but of course you got to go through all these bosses and they have all these notes and like, oh, well, we want Cooper to sound uh, happier and that, to get, you know, so you got to pick all the quotes, all that kind of crap. She taught me how to do that. And I was able to get freelance work for Disney, FX, Fox, uh, Discovery Channel, like weird, you know, stuff. And, um, but that paid really well, it, but it was like, here's a ch- here's one job. It's 600 bucks. That'll cover me for this week, you know, and it, it took me like four hours to do or something. So I was doing that for a couple of years. That's when I was auditioning for the first time. So auditioning, not getting near enough money to live off of, but supplementing with the, the writer producer stuff. Then I got actually into the Growlings company. So I did a year and a half in the, the rookie team in the Sunday company. And I was lucky enough to actually get invited into the, the main company. So based on that connection, I got a gig writing cartoons at Warner Brothers, and that was a two-year contract. So, uh, but I built into it that I could run out and audition, and if I ever got a job, I could take a leave of absence day or whatever. And that's basically what it was. So that was a real godsend because I, I got a steady paycheck, real good money for me back then. I had never made that kind of money, you know, as a writer. And it's nothing like a sitcom writer. You're still, you know, kind of minimal. But I was able to go off and audition whenever I want, as long as I got my job done. So I'd come back in and write the cartoons and. Again, it's all notes and all this stuff. And you Was know. it one cartoon or was it a yeah, bunch of Yeah, it was a cartoon of... called Hysteria, uh, spelled with a Y. And it was cartoons based on history. Okay. And I wish it was better. It was, it was a great idea. The show only lasted like two years. Um, but it was a great gig for me, man. I was writing cartoons and, and uh, still getting to run out and audition. And if I got a job, I would just take a couple of days off and they let me do it. So it was awesome. It was now, a great run. You did uh, Curb. I did Curb. That was very, very early on. How did that come about? Because it like, seems like a lot of people in Curb, Larry knows them or or they audition. It's, it's, or it's all probably groundling people or improv It's people. all improv connected because, you know, it was all improvised the right, entire right. show. So his wife on the show was Cheryl Hines, who was in the groundlings with me and many others at the time. We were contemporary at the time. And so the woman who cast Cheryl, I can't remember who cast Curb at, at that time. Uh, she used to come to the Growling shows and she brought a lot of us into audition. And I went in audition and I was on the third show they ever did. Like they did a pilot and then six months later they picked it up and I did the very third episode. So I didn't really know that much about it. You know, I thought Larry's like this curmudgeonly guy. He's kind of an asshole to everybody. And um, that's all I know about the character. I went in there. Larry was in there for the audition with Jeff Garlin. It was a great guy. Both of them were really cool. I liked him. Um, and then I auditioned with another person, like another auditioner in the, in the lobby. They brought us in as couples. It was like, you're supposed to be a couple. And the woman I went in with, I don't remember her name, but she just steamrolled me the whole time. And just like, she wanted to get her jokes in. She wanted to get her stuff in. And I was trying to be, you know, supportive and realistic and trying to get my laugh, but not at the expense of just two people yelling. Um, and I walked out of there five minutes later going, well, I didn't, I didn't show up very well because this woman got all the laughs. She got all the lines, you know, I barely got anything in there, but because it's not written, you got to work with who you got to right. work with. Well, they gave me a gig because, uh, Garland told me when I met him on the thing, he said, you know what? You were a good listener and you let that woman get in and you still got your shots in every once in a while. And of course you're on the show as a guest, you're supporting them. So that's what they need. They needed somebody to set up Larry and, and let him get his lines out. So anyway, so yeah, I did that show. It was great fun. It was just like a week of work. Um, God, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. 14. Uh, 14. Thank you for doing the math. Uh, and it was really, really fun. And they, they didn't give you a There was no script. They didn't even give you the outline. They just You showed up and they said, you're the guy in the, in the funny hat. 
It's like, all right, what the F does that mean? <laughs> so I get there on the, the first day, you're on, on the golf course, and I had this really goofy hat, and, and uh, Larry didn't like me because of that, and I, he, he wouldn't help me on the, on the driving range at the golf thing. And then it comes back to bite him in the ass a little bit. So it was really fun. So you did that. And so then now, as you look in your resume, you're starting to work a, a lot of sitcoms. Uh, like yeah, a lot, a lot of sitcoms. You're starting to do, like, you know, you know, basically Third Rock from the Sun, but I guess you did two different spots. You had one yeah. part as a voice or... Yeah, one was just voiceover, one was an uh, on-camera thing. And that was a weird thing that... who I think it was... Oh, God, if I get it wrong, it's going to be bad. I think it was Julie Ashton who cast that show back then. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but the casting director had uh, had asked me to come in to do them a favor. Shatner used to recur on that show as the big giant head who was like the big boss alien. Right. But Shatner, of course, only showed up on, on shoot days. He wouldn't come in for a table raise or rehearsal. So they just needed somebody not to do an impression, but someone just to do the lines for rehearsal days and you know get the rhythm down and do the blocking. It basically is a stand-in who could act with a little more comedic timing. That's because they have a lot of stand-ins who are great. They do a fantastic job. But they wanted somebody with a little more comedic timing to play with Lithgow and whom I love and, and whoever else was in the scene. So I had done that like two or three times for them. And they liked me and they said, oh, well, we got we to give Brian something on camera. So they gave me a, a little role on camera, a little role off camera. And, you know, I love those guys. They were, they were a great. That's the, the Carsey Werner uh, right. company. And they hired me for other stuff, too. They were fantastic. So they were really loyal. So you were kicking around that. You're kicking yep. doing guest spots. And then I guess your first series was Significant Others. Significant was... Others, yeah. And that was a bit all improvised thing. And uh, the guy who did that, Rob Thomas, not Matchbox 20, Rob Thomas, but Rob, Rob Roy Thomas, he was a commercial director. And uh, he was in commercial world. And he just did a, a short film at Slamdance. And uh, the, the idea was it was a $100 um, challenge. So he got a camera on a tripod just locked it down on a couch and had different couples come in there you know actor couples come in and do therapist as if you're talking to the therapist and and it came out great it was a really great and at the time it was really interesting and, and kind of new based on that short film he sold the series so luckily I was he kept me on as uh, as one of the uh, the actors so you were in the original I was in the original short now how did that come about I mean how did you get on that so Rob was friends with Francine Selkirk who is a casting director still is I'm going to I'm going to audition for her this afternoon after I leave here what are you auditioning for uh, Xbox commercial for Xbox but she works she's been working for 20 30 years whatever she knew Rob from commercial world he had asked her to set up an audition for the the short which didn't pay it was just like who do you got that's you know comedy improv guy and girl so uh, I went in and back then I was doing everything for free if somebody asked me to do something I would do it because I need to get the experience I need to get better I need to learn I still feel that that same way you know it's like I got to get my chops I got to constantly be learning so I did that and luckily because you know it's LA there's a, a million actors will do stuff for free oh, yeah. so I felt very happy that I even booked that which was a free you know, I even get paid for it but that's one of those odd stories that you know cut to a year later there was an actual job came out of it you know so it was significant others I think we did 12 episodes total or something you didn't have to audition no, for, I did, for, I did for, have for the series. Of, did I did have to audition for network? Yeah, because yeah, because Bravo was the network, and they liked the original short, but the short had six couples, and uh, the 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 episode, the series was it couldn't it couldn't serve six couples in a half hour, so they cut it down to three couples, and they they changed some of the couples. So the woman, uh, the actress who played my wife in the short did not take the offer or was not offered or something, so she was different. So I had a different wife for the actual series. Um, but they did kept, keep me. So I auditioned for them, and Bravo, Bravo kept me. Now, I see, you seem mostly to do comedy, okay? When, mostly, now, yeah. when, when was when? What was your, do you remember your first drama role? 
I think it was can't can't even include Baywatch. Uh, yeah, because because <laughs> I was not the guy dying and getting saved from the ocean. I think it was um, Family Law, which was a procedural legal procedural back back when you tell me 14 years ago. Um, and it was just a straight. I was just a lawyer. You know, they had the, all the regular lawyers who basically won all their cases. So every week they had these different you know, guest stars who come in and be the lawyer who lost to the regular. It's like all-star wrestling. It's exactly. like, hey, this guy's going to win. And then this week we have Jose. Whatever exactly. He said, okay, wait, this guy stinks. So I don't know how I got that audition. One of my, my agents, whoever it was at the time, got me in the room, probably because they knew the, the thing. He said, look, take a, take a chance on this guy. And, and it's, just, it's just, you know, two scenes where he loses. But I went in there and, you know, they hire me. So, uh, and in my career, I played a lot of goofy dad and asshole lawyer. That's what I play, or asshole in suit. Doesn't have to be a lawyer. I play, you know, any asshole version of a guy in a suit. Um, so that's what this was. Uh, you know, kind of a jerky lawyer. And I did the first one, then they hired me back a couple of times. So I lost to Tony Danza one time. I lost to Sally Richards one time. I lost to Julie Warner one time. These, they were all the regulars on it. And they were all great and sweet. And so, I, but that was straight. It was just, you know, lawyer. You know, it's, it's, it's helpful if you could deliver any technical uh, dialogue with any uh, shred of believability. Because that's helped me a lot over the career. Because a lot of times, you just can't say all this pharmaceutical stuff, all this legal stuff, all this scientific stuff. And I've gotten a few of those jobs like that. If you can make any of that stuff sound even halfway believable, you got a, a leg up on the next guy. Um, so yeah, so I did that. And then at Crossing Jordan was a procedural where I played kind of a creepy guy in a soup and suit, pardon me, soup, that's you. Um, yeah, so I did a handful of, I did an episode of Heroes, which was great fun. You did Monk. Uh, I did Monk, which is awesome. I love Shalhoub. And I my love girlfriend the, loves this show. And he's amazing. She, you mentioned that on a previous one of the things I, I, I listened to one of your podcasts, she and you mentioned that Joanne Lynch. It's He is unbelievable. He's so good at that character. And that's a tough character to play. And uh, yeah, so I don't know how I got an audition for that. And I was kind of a straight guy. I was at a, a clothing store. And he was coming in to, to buy like a new suit or whatever, but he had to have... You know, it had to be inspected right. by a certain guy, and you know, it was all his OCD ca from the character. So it's just one quick scene, but I loved, I loved working with him. He was fantastic, and I met him once or twice after through through SAG Junk. But that was the only time I worked with him. Well, now as you're doing all this stuff, you're doing the commercials. Are you still yes. doing the groundling stuff? Are you yeah, still oh, hitting constantly. it? So it's 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 uh, three different media. You just mentioned. All right, so there's TV shows, there's TV commercials, and then there's the live groundlings and improv stage. So it's a live theatrical thing. So I'm doing all that all the time, as well as freebies for all my friends for this video and that you know uh live show and i was doing shows at groundlings because i was lucky enough to get in the company so i had a venue i had friday and saturday nights i was doing it over there most of the time but i was also playing the guest spot at theater sports and over at acme they would have a, a jam and they bring you i do everything i could um again just to play with different people to learn different formats learn different stuff get better so many of your guests that you've had that we mentioned, you know, Pete Gardner and Stepanek and, and uh, Regan Burns and all these guys, I played with them here and there and everywhere. And uh, it makes you better. It's, it's tennis. You know, it's, it's, it's improv is a, is a muscle. you got to keep using it or it, you'll definitely lose it. Now, what were some of the commercials you were booking? Did At you book a lot? What's that? Did you book a lot of At commercials? At the beginning, I got like three a year, which was a lot for me. It doesn't compare. You know, it's, it's like everything. It's, 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 there's guys that are so much farther ahead of me and making so much more money. And then there are guys who are praying for one audition a month. And, so, and I've, I've been, 
you know, on both sides of that where I had, I would pray literally back in my praying days for one audition a month, please. One, even if I don't get it, just give me an audition. And, and then I got to a point where I was auditioning a little bit more and then I got one a week and then two a week. And then I'd pray, please just let me give, let me book one of these sons of right. So give me a, a, a dollar out of this. And then I book one, you know, and then I had one or two years where I made a lot of money. I had in the, the tech boom, when everything had a, an online presence, everything was something.com, stevecooper.com, right. you know, and you would sell Steve Cooper uh, dolls or whatever. So there was a couple of years there where everything got going. And I got a couple of roles. I had a, uh, a series on um, Fogdog.com. Fogdog.com was only short-lived. It was around for maybe three years. They sold sporting goods online. And I was like the mascot spokesman. I was a dog. But I was in a dog suit, <laughs> but with my face cut out so you could see my face. And I didn't speak, but I did. I think we did, you know, six or eight commercials. The, the second half all with Isaac Hayes, which was kind of cool. Um, and always like outside some some cool exterior. Like you know, we're surfing in Malibu. We went rock climbing in Utah. You know, it was just roller skating someplace. All kind of crazy junk. Um, but that was good because that was a series. I did six or eight of them, and that adds up. So that year, when they were actually airing them, I had a great year. You know, cut to the next year. I booked one spot that maybe aired for a one month, and you know, God bless it. Thank you for that five grand. But that's it. I can't live the rest of the year off. You know, so it's it's feast or famine in there too. I've got friends who have worked consistently for twenty years, and they they do fantastic. I'm not that guy. If I book two percent of commercial auditions, I, that's a good year for me and I'm very happy and I'm always very grateful about it if I get anything, you know, because that keeps me from going back to get a, an office job. Right. Uh, so yeah, at the time I did have a few. I, I had like, I don't know, Ocean Spray and, and this Fog Dog thing. Oh, Sealy. Um, Sealy Mattresses I did for like three or four years and I think I did like 13 of those over and then they aired... Uh, quite a bit and they aired overseas I'd get these weird like foreign usage checks from Thailand and, and Japan it's like great and that's something of course you can't check on I have no idea if I, I got a commercial running in Thailand right you know I couldn't even point to Thailand on a map but it's like I'll thank you $2,000 you know as I can live so all that was great and then it's a roller coaster it's up and down so last year I think I had one one commercial and it's still running and it's like that's great and it's helpful and it's supplemental but I'm not buying a new house off of it. Right. Yeah. So you you keep acting. You're you're hitting around. You're hitting the stuff. And then now this yep. is. Thank God you're here. That was. Oh, that was fun. Now that's an improv show, right? Based it, we, on an Australian it was, show. It was half. Yeah, it was Australian format, where the celebrity guests came on and they improvised with you, the the ensemble players. So there was an ensemble of four of us, uh, of which I was one. It was me, Chris Tallman, Naima Funk, and Mary Beth Monroe, all fantastically brilliant improvisers, right? Uh, Naima and Mary Beth were from Second City. Chris has played with every different group in the world and trained with a lot of different groups. I don't think he associates with one, anyone. Uh, so we four were the ensemble. We would have a script. We would have uh, lines to set up the guest performers, such as you or whomever. And uh, so you, the guest performer, the, the, the gimmick was they put you in a hat or maybe a costume and put you outside a door. You enter and literally the first line is, oh, thank God you're here. And then we start throwing you the scene so you have no idea what's behind the door so it was a really cool gimmick so brian cranston did it and it was fantastic he walked in and he was a rock star guy they put a stupid wig on his head he's like a and uh so he walks in and we just start setting him up it's like oh great uh, you're here diamond dave you know what's 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 your give us a, a taste of your new song and he'd have to improvise you know a couple of lines out of a new song and he just crushed it and that's where i fell in love with cranston because he's fantastic um, but we had a bunch of uh, Harlan Williams did the show as a, a big stand-up guy, and I became friends with him because we did a movie together later that same year. We wound up doing a movie together. 
uh, with Nia, with Nia Vardalos, who did uh, My Life in Rose. Anyway, uh, so so thank God you're here. It was a really fun show. I think we only did seven or eight of them. Short-lived again. I, I've got a lot of those. And I'm and as frustrated and disappointed as I get with those, like, oh, it went six episodes, it went ten episodes. I'm always aware that I've got a million friends who didn't even have the six episodes. Right. And I didn't. I have years where I don't get six episodes. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm always striving, though. I, I, I'd love to get on a show that lasts, you know, like all of us. So you're, you're, you're doing that. And I mean, it must be, as you said, frustrating. It I, is. But I'm aware that I'm lucky where I am. And now how, how did you end up in the House of Pain? That's, just, uh, that's a good one. So Tyler Perry. I'm sitting there going, it's because right. I've only, like, this is so funny. I don't watch it. And when I go to the really, gym, Steve. but no, when I go to the gym, there is this uh, elderly, I don't, she's probably like 60 year old right. African-American woman. And I've been on the treadmill next to her right. and she puts it like the show repeats yeah. oh, God, and she's yeah. watching it. And man, it's, I just enjoy it. Cause she is howling, like laughing so hard. And I'm like, how can you even work out when you're laughing that hard? But I mean, it's just, it's, it adds t- to the cardio. Tyler Perry does so much stuff. I mean, the guy's like, smart guy. Yeah. I mean, he, he acts now and it's like, he just, it's hard to take him serious when he's acting. Like he's coming up in that gone girl. And I'm like, I tweeted, Oh, right. I tweeted, I said, what is, uh, are they going to, are they, she's going to be in court dressed like Medea. Medea, Medea gone girl. Well, you know, he's a super smart dude. Also right. a New Orleans boy. He's from New Orleans. Okay. Um, I only met him one time, not even on that show. I met him on the Tonight Show after that when he was a guest and I was doing a bit. But uh, so House of Pain was weird. It's uh, the, the way I got it, I should say, was weird. The The show was on. Tyler Perry sold it to TBS, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure it's TBS. Very funny. Uh, and then you had very funny, <laughs> TBS. And they did like, you know, 80 episodes. They, the, the, the order was for, look, you either buy it for 80 episodes or you buy it for nothing. But to get that large of an order, they did it completely streamed down. So they would shoot an entire episode of a sitcom in one day. Wow. So from 8 a.m. to however it, uh, how late it took that day. So instead of a regular sitcom week, which is indeed a week, it's five five work days. This was one day. So th- this is to say, I'm trying I'm trying to be uh, practical about it. It's, it's not that it was a lesser quality, but it is a, a lesser system to go through to get this. So I literally got a call on a Sunday afternoon saying uh, Tyler Perry's uh, House of Pain wants you to to fly to Atlanta and and do this bit. Uh, as a as a, a French waiter, and um, I said, "Well, I don't know. I don't know the show. I said, it doesn't matter. I'll take a job. I'm a whore, right. you know." But um, <laughs> they 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 said, "Listen, they're they're offering to you, but they want to make sure you could do a good French accent, like an authentic French accent." And so here's where the 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 lies start flying out of my mouth. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I could put on a bad French accent, you know, but it's not going to be authentic. And, but I had never seen the show, so I didn't know how how high their bar was. So I practiced it. I said, "Yeah, take the job. Of course, it's the job." Great, you're flying out tomorrow morning. That's a Monday. You're going to shoot on Tuesday, and you're going to fly back Wednesday morning, or, or whatever the deal was. And it's like, okay, so, uh, and I really freaked out. So I, I download a bunch of French tapes on 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 the plane. I'm practicing my French accent, and thank I get God, there. Thank God for the internet. Was it? No, oh, thank, thank God. God. I mean, exactly. You, you can learn. You can look. And I'm doing, I, I transcribe the stuff uh, uh, phonetically so I could do my best French. And then I get there and it's still awful. I, you know, I had six hours on a plane to prepare. I'm, I'm not Sophie, I'm not uh, Sophie's Choice. I'm not Meryl Streep. You know, it's like, I can't do accent. So I, I, I pitch in front of the director. I said, look, this is what I've been working on. I, I could maybe do a little better. but And I do my bad French. And she goes, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. You know, it's like, so again, uh, no commentary on the quality of the show. But the, the bar was a bit lower. Like they were fine with my bad French. Uh, and then I wound up doing like three of those. Uh, went back and forth to Atlanta a couple of times and, and shot a several episodes. Um, and it was great. It was great fun. They they spit them out 
and it's got a it's got a very specific demographic, and they they love that show. The, uh, Tyler Perry was very very smart. He started all on stage, so his characters were really that's where Medea came from. It was a stage character, so it's really big and over the top. And he's got a demographic, very Christian, very African-American, that loves uh, his work because it's always a morality play. And he touches on some deep stuff, man. He touches on a lot of abuse, a lot of domestic abuse, child abandonment, father issues, drug use, all this stuff, but in this comedic package, in this comedic coding. And that's why I think that's why it works so well. And I, I'm a super smart guy. I know he's a cabillionaire. Oh, yeah, God, he's insane. So you're, you're doing that. Now, I saw, I saw you did a voiceover thing. A Digimon? Did, did, Digimon! Digimon! How did that come about? All right, my buddy Jeff Nimoy, who is uh, uh, really big in the, the animated world, especially all the, the Digimon stuff, which is like a Pokemon? Digimon. Do you have kids, Steve? Do you have little no, kids? I don't kids? Okay, so I, let me tell you what a Digimon is. A Pokemon is a pocket monster, a right. Digimon is a digital monster monster but it's the otherwise it's the exact same thing so uh the the shows they're all done in japan originally they get shipped over here they get dubbed into english and then they get aired so it's for a a, a channel for a network to to get original programming quote unquote it's really cheap because you're just buying the japanese license and then it's a pretty cheap contract to to dub these things into into english so it doesn't cost them that much and then boom they got a whole series they could drop on there so my buddy jeff nimoy is really big in that world he's one of the you know the big director voice directors producer guys executive producer of that stuff He's a friend of mine. So he said, listen, come audition and I'll, I'll probably find something for you. And he wound up giving me a pretty decent role. So I did a whole season of that as I was uh, Professor Karata. And I was uh, the bad guy. It turns out at the end, I'm the bad guy. So normally I'm just a, a you know a scientist. Again, an asshole in a, in a suit. Um, and then at the end, I turn into a giant monster, which is so fun and stupid. And I turn into this giant thing. And I'm fighting all these other things that I've got. And it's that it's that hard tech dialogue because this is not scientific or pharmaceutical or legal. This is weird Japanese fanboy. Right. You know, the monster turns into dodecahedron and it's in procedural mode where he's got firepower. It's like, what? And you got to say that and make it fit the lip smack that the existing okay. dialogue. So, so are you watching? Or Yes. So you're watching. So you have to sit there and go, Okay, I have to time that exactly. You, yeah, you got to time it as well as you possibly can. My reference is always Speed Racer because I grew up with that 40 years ago. But it's the same thing. Is that, that and back then the the, the the lip smack and the dialogue often did not match. But that's why it's so bad. It's it's written for Japanese actors and Japanese language, so the American actors are doing their best. The American writers who translate it are doing their best to to come up with words that fit within that lip smack. Right. But it's really it's harder than you would think. But it was really fun. So I did a whole I did a whole season of that, and then I did several other like guest bits on another one called Bleach, which is another Japanese anime show that uh, I don't even know what I was in. <laughs> I, I always say I, I don't have kids, so I shouldn't know these shows. Uh, but yeah, it's funny as though I used to watch iCarly because a friend of mine wrote for it, right? And I enjoyed it. And people were like, what, what, what are you, what's wrong with you, man? Right, right, Why are you right. watching iCarly? But then I was talking to my girl Joanne before she moved out, and she, her niece. Now is eighteen or nothing. She grew up with it probably, but they watch it and she's like, well, "Why do you watch iCarly?" Yeah. I said, "Because it's a funny show. It's a good show. There, there are good shows, you know." And uh, I try to keep a, a tab on at least a little bit of everything, so right. I try to watch everything like once. Uh, but yeah, Digimon was a, a blast, man. I was really, I really enjoyed that. Now, do you want to do more voiceover work? Or oh, I'd love to. Every I, I would imagine every actor would love to because like I, right now I took off my shoe. I'm sitting here barefoot. You know, uh, you could you, voiceover. You could walk in. You don't have to shower for a couple of days. You just walk in. I mean, just I, I always do this. 
in shorts. Yeah, shorts exactly. And t-shirts. I mean, so you know, you don't you don't have to prepare. Again, I'm lazy, so you don't have to prepare your look at all because you're not on camera. You do have you do have to prepare the dialogue and, and some of the acting. And this is not to take away from people who do it really well. Um, but I've done a little bit of voiceover uh, commercials, a little bit of voiceover for the the anime stuff. Now you did a bunch. You did some sketches on the Tonight Show. I did a bunch over now, the years. How, how did that come about? But for from the Groundlings or indirectly, that was one. They have, they have this thing called actor showcases where you can pay 40 or 50 bucks to go and showcase yourself in front of a professional, either a, a theatrical agent when you're trying to get an agent or casting directors or producers, people who, who could hire you. So I did one called Real Pros, R-E-E-L. Okay, so not at the Groundlings. It's just no, this is, not, this is indirectly. Um, and at Real Pros, you, you pay your 40 bucks or whatever it is, and you sign up for these things. I met a guy at the showcase called Scott Atwell. Scott was a, a talent producer for The Tonight Show. This is a long t- 15 years ago, and stayed all the way through till it ended with Jay last year, or earlier this year. And, uh, and Atwell saw that I was with the Groundlings. I did some little sitcom scene for him. You get like a two-minute scene. And he said, you know, look, you, you can handle this bit. You know, all you you need to come in and say here's more here's more coffee, Mr. Leno. I don't even, I don't remember what the first one was, but it's like a two line thing. He said, "Look, I'm sure you can you can handle that." But to me, that was a big deal. It's the Tonight Show. You know, it was Leno, um, but it's iconic. It's been around for 50 years. Right. My parents. The first thing I did that my parents knew what the hell I was talking about. It's like you know, <laughs> yay! So I did that, and it went fine. And then they had me back to do a, another sketch that was a little bit bigger, and then another sketch a little bit bigger, and they cut to like three four years ago. They started letting me do my own stuff where it was I was playing Brian Palermo doing a bit, you know, so I wasn't playing. I was, you know, so I'd come on. Jay would introduce me as Brian Palermo. And, and what do you have for us today, Brian? And I would throw it to whatever the video package was. That's funny because I've had a few people. Sully, Sully McCullough did some stuff on The Tonight Show. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. Joe Medeiros was the writer, one of the writers for The Tonight Show. I'm sure I know Joe by and face. Yeah, by you name. probably. But that's funny because people, they do do a lot of times. Like Jimmy Norton used to come out and yep. do uh stuff for them like you know cause, and just different people Mitch Fatale used to do stuff they get, they get different people to do all the time Norton's on all the time yeah. and um, they had they to fill an hour every night 50 weeks a year or whatever that schedule was I mean I get it I mean they need a lot of material you know so uh, yeah that was, that was just great and then I had a couple of Groundlings guys Jim Wise and Mike LaPrete were writers on it for the past five years and Mike LaPrete was the one who got me to do my own kind of bits based on an old bit I did at the Groundlings so that's why I was saying it was kind of indirectly so the first time I met Scott Atwell he just cast me in a sketch then years later, because I had done this uh, a different sketch, I used to do a, a fake handwriting analysis bit okay. at the Groundlings. That was a live improv bit, so I'd have you sign your name on the on the board, and then I would just an- analyze your handwriting. All bullshit, of course. Um, and they thought that would maybe work as a bit to to tape. So we'd go up to Universal, and I'd do it with a bunch of tourists, and and then they would cut a package together, and that's how I started doing those. Come on, I'm jumping through your career. I'm jumping through different stuff. Jump, jump now, around. Now, social network. Social network's great. No, because okay, all... okay, that was, and that's you know. That's real. That's, you can say it. Steve, so for you guys listening, Steve was looking at me and he's shaking his head like, this is the first real credit you've had to talk no, no, about, Brian. No, no, because no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, maybe it's a difference because you're like, maybe I'm thinking, is it a difference? No, I mean, no. I know it is. But no, but the thing, because like, well, you were in Gale, you tr- We Trust, which is, what, yeah. that was a... That was a web series. So, okay. so in Gale, We Trust was uh, American Family Insurance. It was an insurance company that took a risk, threw a lot of money to NBC uh Interactive, which is the name of the department at the time. I don't even know that's there. And said, so, look, make a series that promotes our show. It's, it's product placement, but not so over the top. So what they did is they found Elisa Donovan, who is a TV star and a bit of a movie star. Elisa's been working forever. Beautiful, smart, charming. And she was like, she played Gail. So she represented American okay. Family. And then I played her husband. So I did a bunch of those. Um, 
social network. God, who cast that? Jeez, the lady. I only read for that one time ever. You only read for it once. Big, only big, for, big movie like that. You only big read movie, once. only. But it was only. I only had one scene. But again, it was that. that it was that technology. Technological stuff. I was playing a computer science professor at Harvard. So. My dialogue was this incredibly difficult computer problem that Jesse Eisenberg, who's playing, uh, you know, the the main dude, uh, he gets to just answer it offhand as he's walking out the door. And that proves that's the scene Aaron Sorkin wrote and, and uh, David Fincher directed to just prove just how smart this guy is. Um, Zuckerberg, the, you know, the, 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 the real character and Eisenberg played him as the actor. And uh, so I, I'm the professor, a Harvard computer science professor. I'm supposed to be like this, this, you know, high up guy. And I throw out this impossible computer problem and uh, Eisenberg. Uh, just answers it off the cuff as he walks out the door. So you, the viewer, are supposed to get from that. Oh, that's how flippin' smart this guy is. He he just he just beat the Harvard computer science professor. So I play the computer science professor. And Steve, I tell you, I had to I had to pronounce two of those things phonetically. I didn't even know the words I was saying. It was so hard. It's all this computer nonsense, and I don't get it. And Aaron Sorkin writes it, and he you know he's Aaron Sorkin. He writes all this crazy dialogue. So I only had this you know this one minute thing. But I was really stressed out because I'm a huge Fincher fan. I'm a huge Sorkin fan. And I know both of them are divisive. Some people love them. Some people hate them. But I wanted to do well. Anyway, so that was that. Was that. And, uh, yeah, so we, we shot that. It was one day down at USA, USC. See, that's great, though. See, it was now, awesome. Now, now, as I look, you're, you're now Marin. I saw you on Marin. Yeah. And now you played a dick in a suit. You exactly. Played agent, but, uh, exactly. And uh, so was that an easy – because was that – what was that – audition process on audition i did not know mark i'm not again i'm not a stand-up I, so i don't know that world very well but he was in the room it's his his, his show obviously and uh, i had listened to his podcast so i kind of i kind of knew what he was going to be like dorian frankel is the casting director on that i knew her at theater sports 15 years ago that's a, another little networking thing that came about but dorian brought me in for that one she's brought me in a million times but um yeah so i auditioned Reading with, I think with Dorian, but Mark was in the room. Marin was in the room. And, you know, there's 10, 20 other actors for this. That's just a, a typical acting call. You go in, there's there's 10 or 20 other guys, all 40-year-old white guys for this role. That's that's all I ever go out for. And I'm an asshole in suit, and he just liked me as asshole in suit. So I got the role. And um, shot, it was just like two to two or three days on that, I think. Really fun. Um, and I liked it. I thought it came across, it came off well. Mark, I mean, the, the show, not not me. And uh, it was fun because I got to work with Bobcat Goldthwait was the director on that. Okay. And I never worked with Bobcat before, and that was awesome. Uh, Pete Holmes was a, a, a guest on it. I never met Pete before. So it's like all this, all this comedy, all these comedy world people. And that's really fun being, because, I, again, I don't know the stand-up world. So that's really fun. I'm just looking, because uh, you have Breaking Belding. Now, now the only thing <laughs> I is, is that based on Mr. Belding? Yeah. Because Dennis Haskins has been on was the show. A, oh, he was he? Yeah. So that was a parody of Breaking Bad. Um it would mash up a Breaking Bad and Saved by the Bell. Okay, so I don't think Dennis wanted to do it, or they couldn't get Dennis, or whatever. But they asked me to to play a Mr. Belding type, who is then the the making meth out out in the desert in a, in a trailer. This is my buddy Sandeep Parikh, who's very 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 funny. He's a producer and writer. He wrote this thing for uh, directly for you know the internet, and um, I can't remember which which uh, site it was for. But uh, anyway, yeah, so he, he asked me to, to do this and play like a Brian Cranston, Denny Haskins uh, mashup. And it was really funny. It was real, real, real well, very well written. And then um, a guy played Zach, and he was the Aaron Paul character and, and uh, shot out in the desert. It was really good. Check that out online because I, I, I thought that was, it deserved uh, uh, more uh, hits kind of thing. Because we have about five minutes left. You got um, it, baby. So now you said you have a show. Are you still doing the Groundlings? 
Yes, as an alumni. So so we've got a whole hierarchy. They have a main company, they have a rookie company. I left the main company years ago, nine years ago. But as an alumni, I still do a show every Wednesday there. It's called the Crazy Uncle Joe Show. And that's our long form set. We've done that every Wednesday for 13 years. I mentioned Jordan Black earlier. You had a, as a guest. He and I do it with Roy Jenkins, Ted Michaels, and Stephanie Courtney. We're the regulars. Stephanie Courtney plays Flo, Flo Progressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have like one or two uh, other groundling guests that, that – you know, swing through. So every week we have six or seven players. And uh, that's just a, a very, very silly, very loose, long-form improv thing that goes very fast, and we love it. And it's just, it's very goofy. And uh, it's every Wednesday at the Groundlings Theater, 8 o'clock, and uh, just so lucky to do that. Is it good when you do you feel good getting up and getting your chops up there? Yeah, I mean, all, always. It's always good. Even, even on nights when I feel it's like, well, I was more of the I was the sixth I was the sixth player on the bench today. You know, I was more I had a couple of good assists, but I was not the, the I was not the, the the lead scorer. And then there are nights where you are, you know, and, and, it's, and it's so much fun. Even when I'm the assist guy, I love it. Right. See, that's like for me for the chops. Like I decided to do this crappy comedy night, and yep. it's, no one's ever in there. But now, because I'm tired of my act, you know, I, I don't I don't really enjoy stand up anymore. But now I'm getting more into the storytelling thing, so I can just go I just yeah. go and ramble a story, and I go, wow, this is fun. It's you a know, different it's thing. It's a different thing because it's like you know what. I can write jokes. I tweet jokes. I don't, but I get bored. I was like, but when you're just doing your thing, it's like I told a story about me going to an Asian bathhouse and getting right. a happy ending like 20 years ago. Right. The, the comics were dying. They're like, that's a great story God, though. You know? Not not everybody has that. Right. Everybody can relate to. Everybody yeah, gets the it's idea. Crazy. You know. So, so telling it with a narrative is a whole different yeah. skill set, but it's fun. So what else? What else is coming up for you? Uh, that's it. Got a lovely uh, Oscar Mayer commercials uh, playing. I, jo- I was just on a show called Riot on Fox. That was another improv thing that already got killed. So I saw I saw a preview for that. Okay, it could have been better. I, I wish it were better, but it was fun fun to shoot. So we we just shot that, and uh, so that just came down last week. And what's, that's it. Now I'm looking for the next gig. What's your Oscar Mayer commercial? It's um, is it with Ben Weber? It is Ben Weber. Did you have Ben? Yeah. Too? Okay, so Ben is the dad. <laughs> okay, yeah. And okay. I'm just like a, a long suffering dad with him. My, my I'm, I'm in like a two second cut, you know. But Ben's the dad, and we're at a, a, t- a boy band concert for our teenage daughter, and we're okay. both just kind of sitting there, you know, put upon and frustrated. But you got to be a good dad. So it was a real quick shoot, but really fun. Ben was awesome. That's a great campaign for him. He's had oh, that for several yeah, years. He's great. So he's so nice too. He's super. And we see each other auditions a lot because, again, 40-year-old who, white guy. Who are some of the guys you run into in auditions? Regan Burns, Ben Weber, uh, Brian Stepanek. Um, not Kapalos so much. He plays a little bit older. He's been around a while longer. But every once in a while, I'll see Kapalos. Um, uh, Pete Gardner. Uh, uh, I know you've had uh, Pete Holm. Any of those guys from Beer Shark Mice was a great improv group at I.O. They're fantastic. Right. Uh, so Pat Finn, Mike Coleman, all my growling buddies of Roy Jenkins, Ted Michaels, um, not Damon Jones anymore. He's directing, but uh, a lot, a lot of those, any of those forty-year-old white guys, specifically with Comedy World, we see each other at every single one. I guarantee. Andrew Hawtrey, um, Andrew Friedman. It must uh, be weird. It's, it's almost like a fraternity. Like it's, it like, is. it's almost like you sit there. It's like me because I would get stuck and I would go out. I go out and audition every once in a while and I'd be yeah. like, you know, um, you know, bald guy, but I'll get creepy guy. But the thing is, yeah. I'm not creepy enough to be the creepy guy. It's like you see, like or different looking, and like. Because I'm, I'm legally blind away, but I'm not yeah. like different looking. I'm unique looking. But then you go and you see some of these people, and you go, "You want to say to your agent, well, why am I getting called why for this? Really, this why person looks, that category. Yeah, this guy has like three ears, you yeah, know." And yeah. I'm, I don't care. Yeah. But it's like, God, it's crazy. I've come to accept it, man. I started going out a couple of years ago for like the older dads. So, um, 
and I'm still in late 40s. So when I'm in a room with a bunch of guys who are 60, it's like, hmm, do I play this? I, I don't think I'm quite this old yet. But, you know, what can you but do? You're, you're going out, and that's what's good. It and, is. And I'm so, very grateful, very happy. And now what's, your, what's the role for the Xbox? What are you, what's, are you, uh, are you director, a dad? Director of a, of a video game. Oh, that's what you're going to be? Yeah, and I've not even seen the full script. So in commercial editions, you just go in, and you see the script there, and you do it, and you leave it, and you hope you get it. That's, that's it. cool. Yeah. And so every Wednesday, you have the Groundlings. Crazy Uncle Joe show. Every Wednesday, 8 o'clock at the Groundlings. So you, you, do you tweet? Uh, I do. I at, at Brian Palermo. And I just started in the past couple of months trying to do more. Okay. So I've got a few, and I'm just starting that. Well, follow him on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, and that's about it. And for me, people, i got to tell you what's going on. Oh, follow me at Twitter, at Cooper Talk, at Cooper Talk. Also, also, um, email me, cooper indy100, indie100.com. You can also, it's just something going crazy in the screen right now. All right. You can, you're getting, check me out on um, uh, Stitcher and iTunes. It's uh, Cooper Talk, one word. Also, every Tuesday, crappy comedy. And on July 16th, July 16th, I will be sitting there doing my live show again. I did it uh, last Saturday with Katherine Wilhoyd. I think July 16th, I'll be doing, my guest will be Jordan Brady. So that's about it, people. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Uh, don't forget, eat your vegetables, drink your water, take your vitamins. You have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Oh, you know what? We got, we got 30 seconds left. Oh, great. Oh, I was going to say, it was so no, smooth, Steve. No, but it happened is this thing popped up on the well screen. Well done. So I don't know what's going on. See, what happens is someone's trying to load something from the outside. Well, let me tell you, because I, I was a computer science uh, professor at Harvard, so I know all about this crap. I have no idea what you're I know. talking about. So we got we have, we have 20 seconds to kill. All right, that's about it. But it's okay. Anyway, people, that's about it. Yeah, you know what? I'm Who's done talking. Who's your pick for the World Cup? Who's your pick for the World Cup? Um, Netherlands, sure, or right Germany. Right. There you All go. All right, people. I'm Steve Cooper. Thank you to Brian Palermo for the rockiest ending I've had in a while. But remember, listen next week. Have a good weekend. Thanks.